0: I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. If you're working as an accountant and you lose your job, nobody really notices.
1: Leinster could have me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. <laughs> <laughs> it is coming Weekly.
2: Little
3: first Drive Magic!
2: Hello and welcome to the 42 Rugby Weekly. Gavin Casey, still in Cork. And I'm joined, as always, by Murray Kinsella of the 42, back up in Dublin. How are you, Murray?
0: Oh, good, Gav. How's the form there in Cork?
2: Yeah, fine. Fine. Every day down here is like a dream. Uh, <laughs> Bernard Jackman, how are things on your end? Good, thank you. You we were back out in the field last night, I believe.
3: Uh, yeah, back, uh, back training with Bective. So, um, just in a group of 15 to start off. The, the regulations are two, uh, two coaches per 15 players and there's quite a bit of documentation um, that has to happen beforehand and sanitization of balls and things like that. So we just kept it um, kept it to a small group but hopefully pick up now and, and, and go to thirty um thirty for the next session. It's just great to be back. Yeah, I think some of the clubs GA, LA, GA teams have also been back for for three or four weeks and they're are back playing games and things like that. But um you know from from what I hear around uh, around Dublin a lot of a lot of clubs are are either back or starting to get back. So um, it's another another positive sign
2: certainly is. We're going to chat today about the Champions Cup final and where exactly it may or may not take place. We know it won't be Marseille after today's confirmation. We're going to talk as well about Connick's new signings. But I know you can call it flagrant laziness in that Murray's about to take two weeks annual leave. But I'd like to think of it more so as part of the inclusive culture that we've cultivated on this podcast over the last couple of years. Almost the entire show today is going to hinge upon a recommendation that was sent to you, Murray, uh, some weeks back. Would you mind kind of giving the overview of what we're going to be doing with today's episode?
0: Yeah, uh, a couple of emails on this, actually, and a couple of messages. We get loads of interesting suggestions from our members, which are much appreciated, and certainly over the last few months when it's obviously been a bit quieter on the rugby front. But um, a lot of people like those hypothetical squads, hypothetical scenarios. There's been suggestions of probables versus possibles which we actually did in our newsletter today but the the topic today will be the 2023 uh, world cup team for ireland so you're forecasting quite a bit in advance but um well it may seem a bit um i don't know to some people it'll be a bit meaningless but it's fun first of all and secondly it is something that ireland themselves will do like the RFU have their depth charts their succession planning their best case scenario worst case scenario they're constantly considering these things years in advance and, and you got to do that the best teams in the world do that we know that and we've mentioned it with the crusaders and and things like that recently everyone's doing it You you got to plan ahead so it's a really difficult task to be honest and sitting down to do it this morning you're you're kind of scratching your head going will he still be there will where will he be at that stage but uh we'll have a bit of crack with it anyway.
2: absolutely listen the haters i'm sure will point towards the fact that we're talking about 2023 and tear their hair out but really it's just an excuse to Talk about young players, up-and-comers, and an excuse as well to tee you guys up for a massive fall when we review the podcast <laughs> in three years' time. But we'll kick off with the European Finals, Murray. Uh, that was only a couple of hours ago now that that was confirmed, so Marseille is off the table. And we you know, hypothesized in the past that uh, if, for example, there wasn't a French team... In at least one of the finals, Marseille probably wouldn't happen anyway. But just in case people are only consuming rugby news for the first time on their lunch break or whatever, as this podcast comes out, what was the story there? What was said basically? And what do we expect to happen next, if anything?
0: So, yeah, EPCR confirming the the finals of the Champions Cup and Challenge Cup which were due to take place in Marseille in the Stade Velodrome, nearly 70,000 capacity, a pretty cool stadium but not going to happen there anymore this is for the the weekend of 16, 17 18 October, the rescheduled dates for the 2019-20 final Uh, basically the line is that there's insufficient safeguards currently in place during the public health crisis for two high profile matches with obviously tens of thousands of fans potentially travelling into the south of France can't guarantee that that will happen. Obviously, we don't even know if fans will be in the stadium uh, on, a, on on that scale uh, come October, but it's not going to be in Marseille, and we're going to have to wait and see, really. The the tickets... So basically, Stade Veldrum will now host the 2021 finals of the Champions Cup and Challenge Cup, and then Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, which was due to, to host next year's finals, will now... Uh, have the rescheduled 2022 finals. So everything's kind of pushed back a year and, and tickets that were bought for the this year in Marseille will be valid again next year. The, the finals will be on the 21st and 22nd of May. So everything's shoved on a bit, but we really don't know where the final's going to be. And there's so much we don't know in rugby at the moment. I mean, we just before we came on air, we are talking about it. You, you just don't know where we're going to be in a couple of months' time even. So I would imagine EBCR will move forward with this um in a kind of provisional state and, and basically see, as you've kind of m- mentioned and hinted at there, see how the, the knockout stages pan out if they do as planned. The quarterfinals are due to be on the eighteenth, nineteenth, twentieth of September, and um, with the semifinals a week after that. So I'd imagine they they may even wait and see closer to time who's going to be involved potentially in the final and, and try and figure it out from there and and the least amount of travel potentially or or a stadium that's um, hosted several games in the weeks running up to that, months running up to that, that has a procedure in terms of the health and safety etc um, but at the moment we, we just don't know, it's another one to add to the list of things we don't know for sure For sure. Yeah
2: I suppose the crux of it is that as you say, Marseille and the organisers over there didn't feel as though the city um, and, and probably the stadium would be prepared or enough safeguards would be in place that probably applies to Most cities, really, at the moment. Like, if the um, predominant sort of part of the issue is that there will be tens of thousands of fans traveling, again, hypothetically, towards one of these cities, I don't know that any city or even any country would be uh, particularly glad to see that happen. You can imagine if it was rescheduled for Dublin, say, in a couple of weeks and the right wing tinfoil hat brigade coming out in arms, like uh, at the prospect of tens of thousands of people landing in potentially from other countries. So I'd imagine and I think you alluded to it there, like you'd pretty much just leave this go till like as late as possible. And I'd say they're probably going to be operating under the assumption that there won't be fans there. Like it's hard to imagine what's going to be drastically changed between now and October um so you could really get away with just naming a city determined by the teams that are in each of the finals
1: Mm.
0: i think there will probably be understanding across the board for that well it's obviously really rare circumstance i think everyone just wants to get this 2019-20 season boxed off obviously get some revenue in as well and and make sure the tv rights etc come through yeah you've summed up really well there everyone's got to wait and see um, and I think there'll be a bit of leeway from, from everyone like obviously in, in normal circumstances it could potentially work out in, in one team's favour but if there's not a whole amount of fans in the stadium then does it really matter as we've seen in the Bundesliga and NRL home advantage is kind of gone without when you, when you take the, the fans out of the stadium so um, yeah I think EBSUR will be just doing their utmost simply to get it played on those on those dates
2: Good news for Connacht during the week Bernard, Uh, for a long time you and Murray and plenty of others in fairness had been identifying uh, number 8 and the lack I suppose of a a very physical ball carrier in that position for them as a weakness or a glitch in their their arsenal and they would appear to have sorted that problem along with making another potentially very exciting recruitment in Australian who's extremely familiar to Andy Friend
3: yeah, they have and I think we've been waiting for um, reinforcements to come. I mean, you know, Andy Friend has, has said that, that the two the two signings they made this week has brought their squad up to, to forty three, which would be on a on a similar level to to probably the other provinces. Um, you know, I would generally go for a sevens player out a sevens player is a is a bit of a gamble. Um but you know, Connor have have done it, you know, well in the past with John Porch and I suppose Andy Friend's knowledge of of Ben O'Donnell, he is a top top end uh, world uh, seventh player on the world or the world circuit, and was nominated for for world 7th player of the year um, previously. So he is a, a really outstanding athlete and a, and a really good footballer. Um, and I suppose yeah, it'll be just getting him to a, adapt as quickly as possible to uh, to 15s And you know, probably the number eight, you know, they've signed is is a is a bit of a gambler, really. To be honest, you know, he's not he, he's not a high profile. Um, well, he's maybe high profile and, and, and kind of has flashy highlights in, um, you know, in his footage, but has really spent most of his career playing playing rugby league. And um, it's going to be fascinating to see, you know, how Johnny O'Connor and the, and the Connor conditioners, can, can they improve him? Um, certainly in in Bay of Plenty, um, you know, he, he he went in and out of games uh and had moments of, of real X factor. And I think Connacht did need that. They do need that that really explosive, you know, ball carrier um because so, you know there's so many players who, who work really hard and are really good technically um but just probably lack that that real impact. So um he definitely has that in his game um but you know isn't isn't a high end there's no there's an element of gamble again to to this and I suppose maybe that tells us a little bit around maybe the budget they had you know and um you know effectively both those signings you know while it's great and and a reinforcement for the kind of squad they certainly wouldn't have been you know high end um in terms of in terms of costs and uh, you know it, it would probably Lead you to believe that Andy Friend and Connor, you know, are are working under budget constraints as, as 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 a lot of teams are. But um, you know, now it's up to them to the coaching staff and, and and particularly the conditioners, I suppose, to to work their magic and and you know turn them into into diamonds from what they are at the moment, which is rough diamonds.
2: Yeah, Murray, there is a bit of a Moneyball vibe off of both of the signings, as Bernard says. Uh, we know probably more about uh, Abraham Papali'i. Only on the basis that he's been playing um, 15s for the last few years while O'Donnell has been tearing it up on the 7th circuit. But he is 27. He's played minor 10 cup. like He isn't uh, this kind of marquee signing maybe that some Connacht fans would have been hoping for. Um, have you seen much of him and how would you anticipate the move going? Like, Does he have the qualities that could see him become nearly a, a marquee player In time, like, does he have the attributes that sort of fit the metrics that Connacht were looking to fill?
0: Yeah, he certainly. In terms of his size, he does. He's six foot four, over one hundred and fifteen kg. He's explosive. Uh, His ball carrying is a strength. He can beat defenders. He's direct when he needs to be. He can strip the ball out of tackles. He can win turnovers. But as Bernard mentioned, they've been fleeting moments. Watched him last year with, with Bay Plenty a few times. He only played in five games, and he started three of them. He didn't last beyond fifty minutes in any of those three starts i think he even came off at halftime in one of them which underlines what Burns has been talking about there the the conditioning is an issue he only switched back to rugby union last year um and he was in rugby league when he was younger he went over and signed with the the roosters obviously one of the big nrl teams he got a couple of appearances and then he kind of went into french rugby league and and back home i think to kiwi rugby league and he was playing essentially club rugby and then kind of worked his way back up with with the union so he's Probably got a lot of ground to make up with that. Definitely Burns bang on the money there in terms of what they're going to have to do with him conditioning-wise. Um, but he can definitely provide those X-factor type moments. From what I saw, he could pass the ball pretty comfortably. He could offload. Had that awareness as well. Um, but still, there's a lot of refinement needed there in terms of decision-making and experience and, and understanding of the game. Um, definitely... Definitely a project I I would guess to to work on. But he's got size and and that's something that natural size is something they're missing in their back row. Um, you can imagine him like making big carries and and being a primary fo- focus there. So an exciting one, but definitely unknown and and it may not work out. There's no guarantee. Ben O'Donnell then I guess a, a little bit similar to the John Porsche signing last season. It's a guy Andy Friend knows very well. He gave him his debut in the sevens. And O'Donnell's probably, you know, was certainly a, a better sevens player than Porch was. Even he, as Bernard says, he was nominated for World Player of the Year. And anyone who's been watching the series will, will be well aware of him. He's he's got gas. He's a great athlete. He can offload as well. He's got a, a, a nice skill set. But again, it, it's an adaptation. John Porch took to it really well. I, I actually thought he was one of the great success stories for Connick last season. Um, adapted well, really enthusiastic on the defensive side of the game, really confrontational there and and that's a really good start because we saw his finishing ability, some lovely touches, um, and you remember that one in Montpellier where he had a lovely uh, kind of got airborne and, and finished in the air, really sevens, rugby league style finish, it was it was lovely stuff and I think he's adapted well so they'll hope for the same from O'Donnell. I suppose it is an interesting signing and there's in the Irish, Ireland sevens rugby scene there's a bit of um, I suppose disgruntlement at the signing that the fact that they've we've had two Australia seven players come into the conic squad in the last couple of years, I don't think it's anything personal against those guys, but David Newsfora obviously set up the Ireland seven squad to be another avenue for players to come into the fifteens um professional game. He speaks about that regularly. Um but I suppose some of those guys have been overlooked again because O'Donnell's coming in. So there's a couple of different sides to it and um I suppose Connacht will be confident and Friend will be confident knowing O'Donnell that he will make that um, adaptation pretty quickly and offer something really exciting out, out wide for, for Connacht, something different to what maybe they have in, in their back three. He's definitely got the athletic attributes. But but yeah, definitely they're not, you know, when they announced these two signings, it wasn't a case of, wow, we signed these two players. It's a case of, okay, these are a couple of interesting um, projects and, and Bernard nailed it really. I suppose they're they're working to what they have in terms of budgeting and, and those constraints but it'll be really interesting to see how, how both of them uh, fit in and, and adapt into into 15s
2: absolutely could be a master stroke we'll see how it plays out i suppose for some of those ireland sevens players who may or may not feel scorned you could always go and win world player of the year on the seventh circuit and then you might get yourself a gig with connect or whoever else um we need to talk then about some Probably more familiar names, but hopefully players that will go on to become household names by the time the next World Cup rolls around in 2023, hopefully. And uh, we're going to do it basically in positional order, as you'd imagine. We'll get both of you guys to name the players that you believe will be starting in each slot uh, come three years' time. Kick off yourself, Bernard, at loose said. so if anybody kind of skipped the intro this is the teams or these are the teams that murray and bernard project will line out for ireland in the next world cup starting at number one bernard who have you gone for
3: yeah i've actually gone for andrew porters um, and i'm gonna give a warning here i found it very hard not to pick a lot of Lensa players on this. Um and uh, I apologise if I have, but I think Porter Porter may and I know there was talk um there was talk at the uh, around the Roman Solano move that, you know, that Porter could eventually be I could switch to, to loose head. Um and that would have given him more game time at tight head in the future. Um I just wonder, you know, when Keen Healy, you know, retires, um whether Porter, given the fact that Tight Furlong, you know, still probably has definitely a lot of rugby in him, whether Ireland would be tempted to to switch Porter back to across to lucid and and have your two, you know, probably biggest power athletes or, um, in in the front row. So I, I've gone for Porter back at lucid which, um, is is probably aspirational really, but that's that's what I've started with.
2: That's a left field call straight off the bat. I absolutely love it, Murray. Your thoughts?
0: Yeah, same. I, I think a lot of people will pick. Uh, you're saying Lefty, but I think a lot of people will go for Andrew Porter here. Like he switched over pretty successfully last year, and actually, like there was an argument he made for for putting him in as a as a loose head and and using him there. They did it. He did it particularly well against Wales in that warm up game, and was an option there during the World Cup. Has a really good history there. Like it's obviously a big move, but I think the the Salanoa move to Munster and and pairing him with Keen and Knox there, the two young tight heads in Munster, for me, in the next. Ooh, next 18 months I would say those two will become the starter and backup even at, at Munster there's two experienced guys in front of them but both of them have huge athletic potential and huge further growth um, in, in terms of their all round game I think they're two pretty special athletes and if you just like you look at the quality and, and the again the physical attributes of Porter I mean it's, it's, it's a lot of quality just sitting on your bench, I think he can make a real impact as a starter. And him and Furlong teaming up as a, as a starting propping pair would be pretty exciting, I think. So I went for Porter, yeah, at one, because I think at 18 on the bench, you'll have either Knox or Salanoa. So uh, I'm I'm with Bernard on that one.
2: Bernard, Salanoa or Knox on your bench as well, if if you have one, or even hypothetically speaking?
3: Um, I suppose Salanoa, um, just because of his... His sheer potential um to maybe you know go to another level than, than Knox I think Knox has obviously got loads of potential, but you know from everything you hear around um you know so it it's this this his ability to be maybe be twenty percent or twenty five percent more explosive than anyone else in Irish rugby and um you know particularly if it's going to be impact off the bench and and you know the the future development he has over the next two or three seasons, hopefully getting some game time um you know, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for him on the bench. Nice one.
2: We'll go to Hooker then. I think this is maybe an easier call, but uh, I'm interested to see which way you went, Murray, just in case you pull the rug from under us again.
0: Yeah, <laughs> Ronan Keller, um, I think, is a, is a certain this, I would say. He, he's been very close to starting already, made a good impact off the bench in his cameos this year, was obviously superb for Leinster, kind of taking over as first choice hooker he'll be 25 in the next World Cup Um, we should mention actually Porter will be 27 so c- coming into his prime as well um, I think Kelleher there is a, is a really strong option, it'll be fascinating for me to see what happens behind him, you, you'll have Herring, Heffernan and Scannell still all, they'll be what in the early 30s, Scannell will be 31 Heffernan 32, Herring 33 but then you've got the up and coming likes of of Dan Sheehan who's really highly rated in Leinster um, he's a big athlete he's 6 foot 3 110 kg which probably not I mean the height is not a typical hooker's dimensions but he's a, a really highly regarded prospect and and we'll see more of him now he's gone onto a senior contract you got Dierma Barron, Munster Tom Stewart and Ulster there's, there's a, a couple of guys coming through but I think Keller for me is is going to be nailed on uh, like injury permitting obviously at hooker
2: Who would be the best of the rest then as you anticipated behind Keller Murray, if you had to pick one?
0: Yeah, I've I've penciled in Dan Sheen at sixteen. That's a that's very much a, based on hearing about his potential and how excited Leinster are about him. But I think the likes of like all those hookers will still be in the mix. You you see now front rows are are playing on well into their thirties, so it wouldn't be surprising me if Scannell bounced back particularly strongly. But for the sake of this, I've gone for Sheen at sixteen.
3: Bernard, obviously, it's your area of yeah.
2: expertise. You went with the. Keller as well, I presume. Keller
3: to start, and I went with Sheen um, as well. And and you know, I've seen him play f- for for Lansdowne. Um, I just think that you know the way the game is going to go. Um, you know, having that big, physical, uh, strong, explosive hooker is going is going to be you know really important. It is important, but it's going to become even more important than. And effectively, with Keller and Sheen, you've got you know two uh, two players who I'd say have the the modern prototype. Um, and while I, I agree with Murray that those other players will probably still be still be featuring for for their provinces and 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 at international level, I think that um, you know the the potential of of Keller to improve more and Sheen to come and be a a real contender to him um, is phenomenally exciting for for Irish rugby fans.
2: Okay, on to tighthead then. Uh, go, kick us off there, Bernard, on on your side of it. Yeah, uh, I,
3: I've gone for Teich, um Tyg to start, and as we mentioned, uh, Solano um, to to come true to be impact player for him. I, um, I, I still expect him to be in situ, um, and I, I can't see anyone. I haven't seen anyone yet who has shown enough to say that they'll they'll oust him. So injury permitting, um, far along for me still still to go to the World Cup. Still the guy, Murray, for you as well?
0: Yeah. Let me just jump backwards briefly. Just on the Loosehead thing, we should have mentioned, like, both of us are switching Porter over there because there probably isn't a, a truly outstanding candidate emerging behind Healy, Kilcoin, McGrath. Keen Healy be 36, or he'll turn 36 during the next World Cup. Kilcoyne by then will be 34. Jack McGrath, 33. Again, like, we know props can play on. Um some forwards can play on until they're a bit older but obviously the game is so dynamic and mobile now maybe that reduces a little bit but but I guess behind those guys there are lots of kind of promising interesting players but none who are who are particularly kind of nailed on to, to be the next loose head you look at maybe Jeremy Lockman he'll be 28 Peter Dooley will be 29 they're obviously not the starters yet for their provinces but showing plenty any of the likes of Michael Milne, who's emerging in Leinster, Witcherly and French, uh, James French, who's training with Munster's senior squad at the moment in, in the academy. Um, so I think it'll be an area that the RFU are, are really focusing on over the next couple of years to, to make sure that they get that depth chart nailed on. If Porter is obviously going to switch over, it, it solves the issue. And as we say, he'll only be 27, so coming into his prime. But behind that, it's going to be really interesting to, to see what happens. A tight head, definitely. I think Furlong, he'll be 31 he's in the leadership group now he's maturing certainly as a as a presence off the pitch and and i think still really delivering excellent performances he's a, f- a superb athlete obviously really mobile um and has a really rounded game at his very best he's among the very best tight heads so i would expect him to to continue as as the first choice behind that you've porter obviously um currently pushing him hard with leinster and with ireland tom o'toole's come into the ireland mix this year he hasn't got his debut yet but he'll be 25 at the next World Cup so so coming towards his prime and, and battling with the likes of, of Salano and Knox Tom Clarkson again who Bernard has mentioned before on, on the podcast as really rating his potential he'll be another one but he'll only be 23 I suppose come come the next World Cup so there are interesting options and Ireland actually look pretty well stocked in this position even a, a very left field one would be Gareth uh, Mil- Milasinovic who joined Ulster last year but didn't get to play at all because of a knee injury he's a huge guy one hundred and thirty-two or thirty-three kg, I think, and he'll only be thirty. Come the next World Cup, we obviously haven't seen him play, but I remember speaking to Donico Callum about him. He said he, he's a, a massive guy who can who can move people when he's when he's fully fit and at his best. So lots of interesting things there. But Furlong, definitely the man in possession, and and probably still will be come the next World Cup.
3: Yeah, and just on that, I mean, Tom O'Toole is the is the obvious. He's the more obvious choice, really, than uh, ahead of Knox and Solano at the moment um hmm. and i know he's a guy who has that real athleticism that Farrell you know has has brought into the the extended squad to give him that experience to make sure he knows that he's very much you know part of of future planning so it wouldn't surprise me for him to to be a you know to feature at the next world cup um and he's another guy we should be excited about
2: absolutely so you've both gone for all leinster identical front rows just to confirm Andrew Porter, Ronan Keller, and Tyke Furlong. You that you're both comfortable with that, yeah? Yeah. Super. Kick us off with locks there, So Burner. Give us a two of them, I suppose. We already know one, I think. Everybody in the country would name one of them. Yeah. Uh, who's the second guy? Yeah. Again, so
3: for me it, it was James Ryan and uh Ryan Baird, with <laughs> with hopefully Thomas O'Hearn um coming through to, to be a real contender. Um yeah, so they were they were my three that I noted. Interesting. Murray?
0: I'll, go, I'll go for Thomas Ahern to start. Um, Are you a, changing one, that now good, for the sake of it? Just... No, no, I'm not. I had, I had a slash here. I had Baird slash Ahern. I think Ahern is like a ridiculously exciting prospect for, for Irish rugby, And he does have something. I know Baird has a lot of x as well, but Ahern has has a lovely offloading game, has um, a real ranginess as well. They're very kind of similar prospects I suppose Baird in with the Ireland squad this this season he's a kind of age grade ahead and um, showing his quality for, for Leinster as well James Ryan's going to be 27 let's start there he's he's going to be 27 at the next World Cup the captain Ivan Pencil in with a captain beside his name here and and the key player really in the pack he'll it all together Ian Henderson will only be 31 he, he's not going to be an old man by that stage and he's the Ulster captain now he's got lots of international experience He's certainly going nowhere. Alton Delan will only be twenty nine. You have the likes of Jean Klein, who'll only be thirty. Actually, which surprised me. He's still a young. Young Lock and, and Ty Byrne will be thirty one. So there's there's loads of guys in that bracket. Um, even Kieran Treadwell, who will be twenty seven. It's interesting just seeing what what the kind of age profile is. So there'll be ferocious competition here. And and obviously the young guys, when you're looking forward, you look at Baird and Hearn, and you think, yeah, they're they're next level, but. The likes of Henderson and 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 Delan will have been around for a long time by then. Henderson's experience at the top level, having played in World Cups, uh, and being on a Lions tour, that kind of thing is is really really valuable. But I suppose when it came down to to picking the team sheet, yeah, I went for Ryan Hearn and Bird as the three locks because, like Ryan, can do that tight headlock really well. He can obviously play loose headlock as well. He's probably his frame is more. I suppose when you look at him, you think that's a loose headlock, but he can pa- he can be powerful in the scrummage. He he can run that line out as well. He can do all the nitty gritty, dirty bits of lock play. Um, I still think, as I've mentioned several times, that there's plenty more to come from ar- around the pitch in terms of his ability to pass offload, make decisions. Um, but if you paired him with one of Baird and Ahern, who have that game changing ability, really for a second row, like either of those guys could play as a six potentially. They're that kind of new breed of of lock who who can change games and make line breaks and, and offload. So that's really exciting for Ireland to have a trio of guys like that who are still nowhere near um reaching their peak.
2: Have we missed out on anybody there, Bernard? You obviously you gave us your three, Mary's gone through a few others.
3: No, I think that's like I mean when you Henderson, uh Tigburn, you know, Klein, etc. They're all we kinda know what they can do and and, and they are at the moment obviously at a level a proven a proven level above um Ryan Baird and and Thomas Ahern but again you know this is this is trying to spot where these lads will be in, in two or three years time and 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 I'd love to see Baird and Ahern really push through and become become contenders to to go to World Cup with Ireland and I think they have the raw materials to do it and now you know it's exciting to see particularly you know we can probably take it for granted that Baird will will get lots of game time in in, in Leinster just the way they rotate their squad and um, he'll come through, Thomas Aaron is is going to be the key one for for me in terms of how Munster managed to bring him through and develop him because um, if I think if they do and, and they're patient with him you know I, I think he could be a really valuable player for them and, and hopefully Ireland in the future
2: For sure, an exciting prospect so we'll move on to back rows then if that's all to be said about the locks uh, Murray will you kick us off at 6 there please?
0: Yeah, I ended up going for CJ Sander at six, and it was probably one of the trickier positions to pick. I found it handy enough going for Caelan Doris at eight, and presuming that he comes back from that horrific injury in kind of back to his best and, and physically capable and no side effects. Dan Levy at seven. For me, they're pretty obvious choices, Um, if I'm being honest. The, the sixth one was really interesting. You look at the current options, O'Mahony will be turning 34. CJ Sander by that stage will be 33. Josh Vanderfield 31. That's the kind of last back row we we saw. They'll obviously all still have ambitions of doing it um and CJ Sander is just such a relentless athlete that you can uh, can imagine him making it there. Again, experience is important, very important in international rugby. We've seen it so many times. The the nations with the highest number of caps obviously tend to do very well. So I I kind of edge for him in, in the end, but there's obviously so many options here, like of the current crop Jack O'Donoghue I think is going to be a really good potential option, he'll be 29 and I think at that stage he may even be the Munster captain um, and have really nailed down that first choice status and important player status there Will Connors, Max Deegan, they'll be 28 and 26 respectively, Jack Conan will be around at 31 and and Jordy Murphy at 32 then you've got that whole new crop of players there's so many exciting back rows in Irish rugby as always, Scott Penny, Jack O'Sullivan Azar Allison. Kieran Booth, even who's just joined Connacht, is a really good um, athlete, who really interesting one for them in their academy, um, and the list goes on. Really, we could we could sh- shout out loads of different guys there in the back row. But in the end, I went for that bit of experience with Stander and uh, alongside Levy and Darris, and I think with Doris's ability in the line out as well, you kind of cover that option, and you've got a really nice balance to that back row. Stander being the relentless. Um, kind of workhorse, he does so much of that good work, and Levy with a big mindset and a big physicality as well. I think it would be a, a, a nice back row, and I actually think we'll probably see it um, sooner rather than later. Interesting,
2: Bernard. How similar or how different does yours look? At- I went for
3: Jack O'Donohue at six. Um, I, I really, I think he's he's really coming through, and, and um, you know gives us will give by the time the World Cup comes around, we'll be nearly the complete player. Um so I've gone for him for six and uh, um Levy started seven. Um and if not I went for I went for John Hodnett, who I who I think is gonna make um you know I, I come true to be a brilliant player for, for Munster. And at eight, yeah, I went with I actually went with Max Deegan, the head of Caitlin Doris. Um and Doris it was neck and neck between both of those and then I I went Jack I bracketed Jack O'Sullivan as well as only got his first senior contract. So I kind of went for my back row Barry Levy, you know, none of them are, are tried and tested internationals. Um but just, you know, I'd be pretty excited with by the future of of Jack O'Donoghue, John Hodnett, Max Deegan, Caelan Doris and uh you know, Jack O'Sullivan was probably stand out under 20s player. Um obviously he's had an injury which has delayed it. but uh I mean, when you look at Deegan, Doris, Jack O'Sullivan as as potential eights for Ireland, um going forward I think we're in a you know in an unbelievable place so yeah I I went I went Jack O'Donoghue, Dan Levy and Max Deegan.
2: And what was it that had you opting for Deegan over Doris as you forecast into the future?
3: Yeah I, look at I just think he's got a little bit more um kind of uh out now pace and, and and game-changing ability and, and I think Dor- Doris for me could easily could you know could easily drift into into six or 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 Deegan could maybe drift to, to six. But yeah, I just think Max has got has probably got more more long term potential to be to be even to be better. Yeah, to be to be a little bit more um explosive and um dynamic. I think he's potentially slightly quicker. Um and yeah I, I think that Ken Doris has done incredibly well. He's got the start um, and in Leinster, he got that jersey, and you know, he didn't give up on it by just being really consistent and um, and and performing well week in, week out. But I think I think Max Max has maybe a little bit more uh, potential, and um, yeah, I, I went for him.
2: On the flip side, then Murray, what is it about Doris that makes you think he will still be a better player in three years' time than Deegan?
1: Yeah,
0: two two fine prospects, and as Bernard mentions, there's there are many more behind him. Uh, Hodnett's definitely one. He's Got that kind of Sean O'Brien acceleration and and muck savagery about him. <laughs> he? A kind of guy you wouldn't like to play against. Um, but I went for Doris because, for me at the moment, he looks um, he looks more like the the test player. I think he's more dominant in the contact based parts of the game. I think his his carrying he always ekes out that extra couple of of half meters or or whatever it is in contact after the first tackle. I think. When he's making tackles, he's a, a more dominant figure in that regard. He gets his shoulder into really good spots, so he can hit into the tackles. I'm not saying Deegan doesn't do those things, but I think Doris does it more consistently. As on top of that, then I think I think that's a really good basis for any young player when you're looking to make that test rugby step. Keller, for me, has that as well. The ability not to ever get bullied in a in a contact situation. Doris, I think, has it. Everything else, really, like he picks brilliant lines around the pitch when he is in wider channels he's got the ability to pass to offload he's got a a good turn of pace he can jackal and win turnover penalties as we've seen so often with Leinster and then obviously early on in his debut before he got injured for for Ireland the line-out stuff he's worked really hard on he didn't do it in school and I think he's a really good option there now as well Deegan offers that as well though that's the thing so you've got two really excellent options there but for me Doris is is ahead at the moment um, and I think looking ahead I, I I can see it staying that way as well but it really will be neck and neck
2: so lads a lot of honourable mentions obviously for players from other provinces but as it stands at the moment Bernard you, you have seven Leinster forwards Murray, you have six before we move on to the backs like will we allow for Ulster and Connacht fans to just switch off or move on to a new podcast altogether like how, how much bleaker does it get for them
0: um, there's a there are a few and I'm trying to look through my team yeah Connacht wise it's probably not looking as positive but uh, Robbie Henshaw's Connacht obviously Um, it, yeah it like I mean you look at it at the moment though as well it's predominantly Leinster that's the reality of it and that's the prime producer of, of rugby talent in Ireland at the moment so for forecasting ahead in a few years time I think that's natural enough Um, there are definitely a few mentions of, of Connacht players there as well but that's the reality and it has been it's you're you're competing against um a really good producer of talent and at the moment Leinster as we've discussed many times uh, are producing brilliant players. Ah yeah, I'm only
2: pulling your leg. I want to go backwards with the backs. <laughs> Murray, will you kick us off at full back? I want to finish with the half backs because I have a feeling one of you might have a trick up your sleeve uh, that I'm trying to iron out immediately here now. Uh so who would be your starting 15 <laughs> in 3 years time?
0: Well, I I went for Jordan Larmer in the end, but to be honest, I have a slash Joey Carberry here, here we as well. Go. As we've discussed, I think Joey Carberry would be a brilliant option at 15 for Ireland because of that dual playmaker ability where he gives you that kind of bowdoin Barrett impetus from 15 and, and I think it's something the All Blacks have done really well. I, I think it's a genuine option for them moving forward. And if he does play there, I think Harry Byrne might be the one to merge at 10. I think he's a, a huge talent and... And has the ability to be a very rounded player. But in the end, I, I went for Jordan Larmer at fifteen um and Carberry I suppose at ten to spoil that one. But Larmer has obviously got a, a huge amount still left to, to learn and, and to get better at. He's already a thrilling player to watch. Um he's brilliant at beating defenders. He's worked so hard to get better in the backfield. That's still a work in progress and is for every single back three player. It always is. It's a really exposed, tough thing to to do, def- defending in the backfield. His kicking game is coming on and and I think he'll end up with a really big right boot that, that can be a weapon for Leinster and Ireland and already is uh, from time to time. And his ability to be that second playmaker is something that Stuart Lancaster is is pushing with him. He's encouraging him to... Identify opportunities to step up to take responsibility. You're seeing him try again to do that. It's not as natural for him as as obviously someone like Carberry, who's been a first receiver for a long time and and has a lot more experience of that. So if you played him at fifteen, it would be a little bit more fluid. But Larmer can get better and better at that. So yeah, went for him at fifteen in the end.
2: Nice one. Okay, Bernard. Um, the reason why I wanted to go with fullback first was in case one of you did go for Carberry at fifteen, so we could build a little bit of suspense towards who you might. Line out at ten instead, but I don't know if you've done that. Uh, have you got a more conventional no, fullback?
3: I, I've got. Yeah, I've gone for Addison. Addison oh, nice. Who I yeah. Who I who I really like. Um, I think he's a complete footballer and um, is a specialist. Is a specialist fullback and can give can probably give us you know that natural second playmaker um, as 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 much as Joey can. Rather than move Joey out, I, I, I've stuck with Joey at ten. And um I know he could do a great job at fullback, but I have gone for, for Addison uh, as a fullback. I think um I just think he's more of a natural there than even than Jordan and I think Jordan is is definitely improving. I, Jordan went on the wing for me um in my team. But uh yeah, I just the way the game is going, um and having that natural natural second receiver is massive and I, I could see why, you know, Murray went for for you know a different ten. He went for, he's talking about Harry Byrne and, and having Carberry there and you've got two two natural first receivers. But um I've gone for, for Addison who I think um has a kicking game. Um his game reading is is particularly good and uh yeah I, I've decided to, to go for
2: him. You've been a long-time advocate now, really, for Addison over Larmer, albeit you, you often say as well that there's very little uh, between them. Like It's not an, an easy decision or a hypothetical decision to be making. But what is it that you feel as though Larmer needs to do to bring his game to a, a level in which it's on a par with a, what Addison can do from that position?
3: Oh, look, well, I think in terms of ability to beat people, Larmer's hands down... Um, you know, a better player than than Addison. But what I like about Addison is how he brings other people into the game. Um, I think he's very effective at that. He's very calm. He um, he knows when to to come into the line. He knows when to um, you know to throw the extra pass or or when to kick or or take contact. Seems to be a little, a little bit better at that and bringing, as I said, bringing others into the game. Um, than than Jordan is at the moment, and I know that Jordan's in a brilliant place where you know he's getting great coaching from from Lysis like Stewart and and from Felipe um, at, at provincial level, and, and for sure he will, um, you know, he will improve that, and probably in two or three years' time, he will pro- probably look more natural. But at the moment, um, at the moment, I just feel that Addison is 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 better in that in that space, and um, yeah, and and the way the game has gone, you you need your fullback to be able to, I suppose take the pressure off your 10 and if you it, also to be honest my centers what well, the, the center's choice is neither of my natural playmakers either so uh, that's kind of why I'm putting more weight on that
2: okay we're looking forward to the center's choice but ju- just in terms of how larmer then can develop that side of his game a little bit more um in practical terms how do you go about that as a player and as a coaching staff is it literally about reps on a training ground or are there more sort of intangible things you can be working on in order to sort of maybe boost your alertness or your peripheral vision and so on?
3: Yeah, no, it'll be, it'll be areas of training games, games-based training with, with Leinster in Ireland, you know, video work, watching, watching the best in the world. And then, you know, obviously working with a skills coach and, and, and his, his unit coach, which is Felipe, you know, cause they're the guys you see the most in terms of trying to develop that overall, you know, game understanding and and feel for it. So it's things like, you know, it's things like spatial awareness, it's depth, um, it's it's timing onto the ball, and um, yeah, it it a lot of it will just come with 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 repetition and and doing that role regularly for for his province. I mean, I think it's very difficult for Mike Catt or, or Andy Farrell to to upskill those players massively in in Ireland camp because you don't have much time. So it's really up to the provinces to. Developed them and for sure, I think Jordan's already got better. There's absolutely no doubt. Just in my opinion, he just doesn't seem as natural at that yet as as Addison. And um, if, if if the Super Rugby in New Zealand is anything to go by, um, the teams who have that more of a natural balance between playing off of nine, ten, and fifteen um, at the moment, and I know it's a, it's a small um, it's a small pool of games to to make decisions on, but I, I do think looking at how England. Um, have adapted and varied their attacking philosophy. Um, you know, having a 15 who's very comfortable on the ball and has a, has a very natural kicking game is really important.
2: Okay. Murray, you might give us your wingers then and if you wouldn't mind specifying as well as to who you would place on the left and on the right, respectively.
0: Yeah, well, that's a, that's a big part of it, definitely, because in James Lowe and Jacob Stockdale, you have two outstanding candidates who are both left wings. Uh, Stockdale will be 27 in the next World Cup, James Lowe will be 30 by then, but really still in the first couple of years of his of his international career. Um I actually went for the the pair of them in the end. It, it's a big adjustment to make, but there's obviously time. I went for James Lowe on the left and Jacob Stockdale being asked to shift across into a right wing, which is a which is a big task because he's played all his wing play on on the left, and that's where his left boot is obviously suited to it as well. You'll actually end up with two left Left feet in your in your back three, which might be actually pretty handy if you're trying to develop that kicking game. And certainly on exiting options, um, you'll have all sorts of uh, different guys you can go to. Um, I just found it very hard to leave someone like Stockdale out, who, who is going to be 27, who has already shown that he can be an outstanding finisher at a test level and and a a game-changing player someone who can decide games with a moment of brilliance like the one against the all blacks where he chips over on a a really excellent set piece play I, i find it hard to kind of leave that out because i i genuinely believe that in the years that before the next world cup he can really improve and nail down all the other bits of the game that every winger has to do really you look at someone like andrew conway who certainly will be in the mix he'll be 32 at the next World Cup. And you look at the trajectory of his career over the last, what, five, six, even longer, he's worked so hard to be a brilliant aerial player, to be really consistent, to be excellent at, at the concentration, decision-making, um, physicality elements of the game. And I think Stockdale, with the right coaching and with the right encouragement and I suppose with his own um, his own motivation, I think he can go on that journey as well and be a really complete winger by the time he's 27. Um, and have that all on top of his outstanding attacking skills so that's the reason I, I, I kept him in there I think as Bernard said Larmers definitely an excellent option on, on the wing as well so if I did go back to that Carberry thing at work uh, at, at fullback I think he'd be excellent on the right wing Um, you, you'll have the likes of like Rob Ballacoon's been in an Ireland squad he, he'll be 26 in the next World Cup obviously at the moment still raw enough but outstanding athletic potential there are all sorts of young guys who, who come through Matt and an interesting one to add to the back three mix actually at, at full back with Munster he'll be 27 Aaron Sexton's one to watch he's if you can if you can keep your eyes on him he's so quick he'll be 22, 23 maybe at the next one there, there are several young guys who could come into the mix um, Earls will be 36 turning 36 by then and Dave Kearney who's been in the last few squads will be 34 so you would imagine that their time will, will be up but um, went for low as as you know he'll be coming in in november making his debut and we've discussed him plenty i mean people know what what they're going to get with with him in terms of incredible try scoring record really physical really fiery and um, confrontational even for for a winger he's worked extremely hard to get better at understanding the the defensive style in leinster and and what will be the similar kind of um system with with ireland so for me, he's going to add a lot to the to the Ireland system. And then I'm asking Jacob Stockdale to to do another, uh, do, do a big switch and, and move on to the right. He, I think he's got the tools there. It obviously isn't his natural wing position, but I think you fit him in there.
2: Murray, it's rare now I'd say this, but I think you're wrong. And uh, the reason <laughs> why I think you're wrong is because, do you not think there's a lunacy to almost eradicating Stockdale's chip and chase which as much as it might be telegraphed by people watching tv really can't seem to be yeah. worked out by defenders and if you were to put him on the right wing he's <laughs> chipping outwards towards the touchline off his left boot rather than infield as he would be on the left wing
0: yeah it's a very good point it's a very good point i suppose Lowe has a, a well it's a little bit of consistent his left boot in terms of exits i think is maybe underutilized and, and can be vastly improved so you've got that more defensive, um, clearing weapon, I suppose. But yeah, that's a that's a really good point. That's a really good point with Stockdale. He's he's been excellent um, at chipping down the left at at keeping the ball in off the off the touchline. Lowe can probably get even better at that kind of stuff as well in terms of the attacking kicking, um, and that's been a massive part for every wing in the last couple of years in the game. Everyone's got to be able to kick across the back line. So yeah, you could potentially you could have Low over on the right, um, um, but I think fitting the two of them in. Probably made the most sense to me in the end when I when I opted for Larmor at, at fifteen.
2: Nice one, Bernard. Your wings?
3: Um, yeah, I went for I stuck stuck in eleven. I agree with you. I think it'd be far easier to convert Lowe to a right winger um, than Jacob. I think Jacob is still still got a lot to learn um, around you know his his positioning defensively. Um, but he his left peg is probably more important to him than than James Lowe's. James Lowe can. Can uh, can obviously use his power um, and his physicality a little bit more. Um, so I, I stuck with Jacob on the on the left wing, and and I bracketed him with James Low um, as as next in. And then, as I said, because of my fullback choice, I went for Jordan Armour uh, on the right wing.
2: Nice one. Okay. Um, well, you alluded to your centres earlier, Bernard. So if you want to take us through those, then you said neither of them uh, are natural playmakers.
3: Yeah, I think so. I've gone for Robbie Henshaw and Gary Ringrose, and I think Gary is is developing that aspect of his game, and and um, you know he's definitely he's definitely improving. He has shown the ability to to put good attacking kicks in um, in that outside channel, and um, you know he's 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 an all around like superstar. He's a he's a he's a class act, and um, you know I think that he will continue to develop that, but probably not at the level that you know. We kind of need probably a uh, yes, and that's why he probably as I said, I went for a fullback who I felt was was more comfortable at at stepping up, um, and so I, yeah, I've gone for Robbie and, 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 and uh, Robbie Henshaw and Guy Ringrose, who are you know both already there in situ to be honest. But I haven't seen enough from anyone else really to say that by the time the World Cup comes around, that um, they're under under real threat. Murray, do you go along with that or have you
2: seen potential threats to their positions?
0: Yeah, I had the same pair. Uh, Henschel will be 30, Ringo's 28, so they'll be definitely in their primes with loads of international experience. Really handy cohesiveness between them as well. They've obviously played a lot of rugby together already and by then it'll be, um, you would imagine, the highest uh, in terms of caps together in the centre in the, in the entire World Cup. The The rest of the current crop will still be around. Chris Farrell will be 30, McCloskey 31, Bundiaki will be 33 by then you imagine they'll still all be competing ferociously, but it is kind of hard to forecast behind that. The two I picked out, probably as the ones I'll be watching particularly closely, are are two Ulster guys, actually. Stuart Moore, who's gone on to a senior deal this season, uh, this summer. He's a really rounded footballer. I think everyone probably remembers his try against Australia under-20s in in last year's World Cup, but he's got a lot to his game. And the other one is Hayden Hyde, who's been on the Ireland under-20s this season, who's again he's a he's a good size of a, of a centre and he's powerful and he's got an offload as well and um a, a little bit of that kind of flair to his game as well so I think those two guys are really good prospects in particular Um, again just calculating forward Moore will be 24 and, and Hyde will be 22 or 23 so they'll be um you know really having a merge with Ulster you'd imagine and and potentially pushing into the Ireland squad they're the, they're the guys I keep an eye on but it's hard really to see past Henshaw and, Henshaw and Ringrose
2: Okay, doke. We get to the halfbacks and you, <clears throat> excuse me, you have both, I believe, already named your 10s. Murray, you have Carberry in there? I do indeed. And Bernard, same as you?
3: Yeah, I have Joey as well, yeah. Okay,
2: that takes us to scrum half then. And it's been a, a position that, I suppose for fans, it, it seems to have been kind of in flux over the last couple of years, even though Conor Murray has, for the most part, held on to his... Uh, well has has maintained his grip on the position um, which way did you go with this one Bernard looking ahead three years does John Cooney factor into the equation has he finally usurped him or is it even a bit late for him at that point
3: <laughs> No Cooney's Cooney's my starter um, and yeah I, I think you know I've gone for a lot of young inexperienced players and uh, at halfbacks um, you know I, I wanted to get a little bit of uh, experience and, and, and hopefully by by three years' time, you know, John has, has, has brought the level of form that he's he's shown with Ulster um, to the international stage. And, uh, yeah, he becomes a key man for Ireland. Um, I've been incredibly impressed with him um, over the last probably year and a half. And, uh, yeah, look, it's, it's obviously difficult to get a start for Ireland because of Connor, um or to get a regular game time. But, you know, I think he's probably in the best position. He's going to be in a very good Ulster team um, who, are, who are definitely coming. And, you know, he's a key man for them. And I think he enjoys that responsibility. And, uh, yeah, I have him as as my starting starting nine to, to finish my selection. Murray,
2: over to you to round us off.
0: Yeah, boringly, boringly I veered towards the end. But I found this really hard one. Like, Connor Murray will be 34. John Cuny will be 33 come the next World Cup. So he's not exactly a young nine either. Uh, Luke McGrath, who hasn't... I suppose he's kind of fallen out of the debate, but he's been excellent for Leinster. He'll be 30, and and Marmy will be 31. They'll all be there, thereabouts. And then you kind of look to the future, um, and the two outstanding young players, probably at the moment, who people are maybe talking about, are are Craig Casey in Munster, but he obviously has to get past Conor Murray first, and you just don't know how that's going to work out. The other really interesting one to follow will be Nathan Doak in Ulster, who's obviously not really on the radar at all yet. He's... um, He's very young at the moment. He's going into the academy, and uh, the the son of Neil Doke, formerly coach at Ulster, and, and just finished up with Worcester. Um, I think he's back in in the AIL. Nathan Doke is really highly regarded as a. He's played ten a bit. He's obviously scrum half as well. Really intelligent game manager. Got a rounded skill set. Like good physically as well. I think he he could be one to keep an eye on uh, in the next few years. But it, it would be some you know it'd be a serious off run to to get all the way to a World Cup. So. Yeah, in the end, I went for that bit of experience with Cooney, He was only a year younger, obviously than than Conor Murray. But Murray probably has a lot more miles on the clock in terms of international rugby, in terms of all that. Whereas Cooney doesn't really. He's almost a bit of a. He's almost a bit of a late bloomer, re- really, isn't he? H- had time at Connacht, and it's only since he went to Ulster, where that move has worked out spectacularly, uh, and he just keeps getting better at the moment. That's the really impressive thing. It looks like he's. Uh, a younger player because he's improving so rapidly and, and having such an impact on, on games and was very close to pushing past Murray in, in in this year's Six Nations as well so it went for him in the end but yeah Nathan Doak is my left field maybe <laughs> a bit of a mad tip but keep an eye on him That's a nice shout
2: that's a nice shout Just to confirm actually Bernard before I reel off both of your teams did you go for Stockdale on your left wing and Larmer on your right wing or have I got that
3: wrong? Stockdale left and, and Larmer right.
2: No James Lowe in their starting team then?
3: No. No. I think he'd be definitely you know he'd be definitely thereabouts but um, I, Stockdale still has Stockdale is still a class act and obviously he's coming through a, a, a period where you know he, he's struggling a little bit but he has you know he has unbelievable proven ability at international level to, to score tries and, and while I'm really excited about you know, the prospect of James Lowe um you know playing for Ireland and, and doing what he does for Leinster. Uh, I, I just didn't want to um rule out Stockdale. And I think in three years' time Stockdale, you know, could potentially be the complete player.
2: Fair enough. So Bernard, your team in full. Andrew Porter at loosehead, Ronan Keller Hooker, Tyg Furlong at Tighthead, James Ryan and Ryan Baird are your locks. Jack O'Donoghue at six one of Dan Levy and John Hodnett at seven. I suppose that's pending on Levy rediscovering his form. Go Levy. Go Levy. Okay, go Levy. Uh Max Deegan at eight. John Cooney nine. Joey Carberry, ten. Stockdale eleven. Henshaw and Ringrose in the middle. Larmer on your right wing and Will Addison at full back. And then Murray, you have gone for Andrew Porter, Ronan Keller, Type Furlong as your front row, James Ryan and Thomas O'Hearn as your locks. CJ Stander at 6, Levy 7, Caelan is 8, your halfbacks are Cooney and Carberry, you've got James Lowe on your left wing, uh, in midfield you've got Henshaw and Ringrose, you've got Stockdale over on the right wing and Larmer at full back, is that right?
0: Yeah, I, I might even like it's been a selection meeting, so I think you may have made a good call there, Gav. Um, on the on the wings, Low might fit in better on the right in hindsight. So yeah, I probably got that one wrong. Um, but yeah, that's 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 the team in terms of the bench. Then, just to list it off, I, I went for Danshee and the loose head. As I said, was it was tough. I went for Jack McGrath in the end, a bit of experience, but it's really hard to know who who will still be playing well in the 30s I went for Knox over Salno in the end Baird on the bench as the second row O'Donohue who I think will definitely be really close great shout from Bernard um, and then Doker Casey on the bench is, is something different I think Harry Byrne will be definitely in the mix really exciting prospect and, and Addison was the 23 offering so much um cover for a lot of different positions and very experienced by then so uh, that's the squad in, in total
2: nice one will I give you my team? do it Dave Kilcoyne who will be 34, but I yeah. think he's he's only entering his prime now. And uh, I think he can hang tough for, for three years. I'm I'm hanging my hat on that one. Ronan Keller, Hooker, Tyg Furlong, Locks. I've gone for Ryan. And I've gone for Ian Henderson as well. Because I think Ulster are on a kind of an upward trajectory. Yeah. He'll still only be 31. And I actually think he should... Um, all going well, be entering his own prime and, and should be actually able to play well consistently over the next few years. He Also, the fact that he'll be a provincial captain as well, I think, often sways sways things in your favour in terms of getting a, a starting berth. I agree with Bernard. I've gone for Jack O'Donoghue at 6, Dan Levy at 7, I went for Doris at 8, but I also kind of saw where Bernard was coming from. Like I think when I'm only watching a rugby match with like one eye on it, I prefer watching Deegan. I just think he's a little bit more fun but, like, Doris is kind of the more polished, mm. test-ready player at the moment, and it's hard to see that perception shifting, and perception is kind of key as well. Uh, I've gone for Craig Casey at nine. I think he will eventually usurp Murray, probably not in the next two years, but maybe even in a World Cup year or, or 18 months out. Uh, and I think he only needs to really do it once, and then he'll be the guy um that's one that I could, you know, that could go wildly wrong, of, obviously, if we're reflecting on this in a couple of years. Uh, Carberry 10, Stockdale 11, Henshaw and Ringrose, James Lowe, I've moved to the right. And uh, I went with Larimer at fullback, which is a little bit more conventional than potentially mixing things up. But um,
0: That's a good, that's the best team, Gaff. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's you. a little bit safer, to, to be honest. Experience
2: and, and balance. You're, you're giving youth you're a bit expert, more of a chance guys. than I am, you know. I'm probably taking, I'm more (laughs) risk averse to my surprise actually.
0: Uh, You're like a test coach though. It's all about experience.
2: (laughs) Jen's pleasure as always.
3: Thanks (laughs) man. Have Have a good holiday. Thanks easy.
2: Yes. Thanks a million Bernard for all of your hard work over the last uh, umpteen weeks really. And thanks a million to yourself Murray. Uh, Enjoy your break and to everybody at home as well. All of the 42 members for all of your podcast suggestions and all of your contributions over the last few months. Uh, we couldn't appreciate it more. We're only going to be gone for a, a few weeks. It, we actually kind of forgot that we usually take a break in the summer. I think we were so keen to keep the show on the road during the pandemic that it rolled into July and we realised we actually usually wouldn't be doing a podcast now, even if there was no pandemic. So we're just going to take a breather. But we'll continue with the members' pods on Monday. Murray will obviously be gone, but I'll check in with Owen Toulon after some of the Super Rugby action and so on. Um, so, until Monday... Enjoy the rest of your week, have a good weekend, and take it easy.
1: We're all going on a summer holiday. No more working for a week or two. Fun and laughter on a summer holiday. No For me and you